Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to episode number 12 of Let's Go Racing with David Starr. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up on today's show, we're going to look back at the Daytona 500, also look ahead to the Daytona road course race, and we're going to meet David's new team owner, Carl Long, all that and more in just a bit. We bring in David Starr right now. David, appreciate the time. As always, an exciting week for you, I imagine, as you're gearing up for your season debut coming up this weekend. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. I'm here at the shop at MBM Motorsports and, uh, you know, looking forward to getting our season cranked up. My, You know, our season, we, we missed Daytona this past weekend, but it was it was fun being there. Carl had uh, three cars in the uh, Xfinity Series race and uh, and then uh, almost got two of his cup cars into the Daytona 500, but it was uh, plenty of busy. It was a busy weekend, had, had four or five of our sponsors there. Uh, entertained them that you know not being in the race car didn't slow me down from the busy standpoint but it was a fun exciting weekend the racing was awesome and uh look forward to going back to daytona and then kicking off our season on the road course dominic oregon from the racing experts.com is here dominic how we doing man great man it's just trying to stay warm here in new mexico we got a lot of snow over the weekend and Part of the snow that hit back home for David as well. We got a we got a lot of snow and a lot of temperatures below zero. So we're just trying to stay warm. And man, I gotta say, David, the the lighting there—it looks like they shut the lights on you at the at the shop. You're you're that dedicated. You're still there at the shop this late at night. Well, you know, y'all see Carl on the screen there. Carl's usually here pretty dang late every night. And uh, and his uh, right hand guy Skippy was just here. And uh, Hey man, I'm not back home in Texas. I came back from I came from Daytona, came back over here to Statesville, North Carolina, where the shops at. And uh, man, the guys were getting after it hard today. They were working hard, and uh, they shut it down about uh, about an hour ago and uh, hour and a half ago. And I said, "Hey guys, you know, can I stay and do the podcast?" And and they said, "Heck yeah!" So uh, all the lights are shut off, and, and uh, they got me hooked up. That's for sure. <laughs> awesome. We did leave the heat on for him, though, so he wouldn't freeze. Well, there you go. That's a good thing. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Absolutely. The heat is on. But uh, we uh, we lost we lost Tyler real quick. Bear with us, guys. Oh, Tyler's – okay, so I guess I'm taking the reins here for a few minutes. So we'll go ahead and introduce Carl here. David, why don't you take the lead here and tell us a little about Carl and, and give us a grand introduction. Well, man, hey, Carl Long's been a great friend of mine for many years. You know, I, I've been uh, fortunately enough to have been involved with this cool sport of NASCAR racing uh, for 24 years, and Carl's been was in it a lot longer than I have been. But uh, what a great guy, great race car driver. Uh, you know, just uh, been involved in it for a long time, and uh, not only is he a good friend, he's now my uh, my team owner. You know what I mean? So. Uh, Hey, Carl, welcome to our podcast, buddy. I'm glad to be here with you, David. So, uh, man, Carl, just, uh, man, tell all the folks we love bringing on guests. And, uh, you know, uh, it's always really cool to hear hear everybody's story. And, uh, man, you know, we, uh, we, we really get deep with people. We had Mike Skinner on not too long ago and Jeff Bodine. And, man, we always take it back to the, to the beginning, you know, and uh, – Tell everybody how you uh, how how racing started for you. Was your dad involved in it? Was you know how how did that come to be? You know. 
Well, my dad was involved in racing, uh, I guess, back in the early 70s. And uh, he raced in the NASCAR uh, Baby Grand Series. And uh, he, he's a Volkswagen mechanic. And when he first started racing, they ran the Volkswagen's Beetle in the, in the Dash Series as it developed to be in. And, um, and so I was just happy to go with him to the racetrack. And I'd, I'd jump in the car and hold the brake when they'd roll it off the trailer. And uh, that's probably six, seven years old back then. And um, so I remember going to North Wilkesboro and Charlotte and places that was close to North Carolina. He would let me go. We'd leave on a Saturday morning and race Saturday, late Saturday afternoon and come back. So um, I guess back in 1983, I just turned old enough to drive and they hadn't raced the Beatles anymore. And my dad and his two brothers, um, my dad's name was Horace and uh his brothers, Lonnie and Everett, they all three had Volkswagen Beetles and dad had moved on and had a Mercury Capri that he had run in the Dash Series. And when they reopened Orange County Speedway in Rougemont, we started the mini stock class and a couple other friends that we knew built a couple of cars. And uh, so I started it uh, racing and I was 15, but I had my driver's permit. Well, they didn't have all of this internet stuff like they do now. So um <clears throat> Dad co-signed for me, and I started racing at 15, and the next year I was, uh, well, I was 16 that year, but the next year my real license come through, I was 16 again, and uh, <laughs> so um, it, uh, it developed, and we met a lot of people there. I mean, the, the very first car I drove as a Volkswagen Beetle in mini stock, I moved over the next year and uh, and drove one of our other cars that my dad had built and ward burton drove the car that i first started in and uh so ward burton, our, our daytona 500 champion ward burton had been in nascar wow drove yeah yeah drove one my, of dad cars. Was, my dad was helping uh he was really good at electrical and wiring on the cars and he had went over to south boston um and and helped wire up a car and do some stuff for john for Jeff Burton and uh, and John and and Ward kind of showed up and he'd been busy out hunting and trapping and not really doing a whole lot of racing stuff and he told his dad if he was going to let uh, Jeff race that he wanted to race and my dad was just sitting there and said well, hell I got a Volkswagen if you want to drive <laughs> it <laughs> so Ward come down and I mounted his seat up for him and um, had to move it a little closer to the steering wheel and and I don't know he got hung up with a with a pinto at south we used to draw for starting positions yeah and uh and i think he was like third or fourth in it or somewhere or another and the first or second lap him and a guy got together and uh knocked the tie rods off of it something bent the front end and ward went into turn one and buried it about windshield deep into the fence with the right front <laughs> and uh and then the next race he had uh he'd moved on over and went to racing in a street stock class up there and uh, as he moved up and his dad helped him, which they had a lot of financial resources that we didn't. Sure. Uh, I finally made it to street stock and Ward always gave me these tires and all of the takeoffs. And he and I still remain uh, pretty good friends. And he sees my dad at the track. He comes and yells at him, which dad hadn't been able to go much with the COVID stuff, but, right. uh, but he's still listed as a team owner of our cup car number 66. And uh, so that's, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Carl. Heck I, 
Man, I can't wait to see Ward Burton. I never knew that you you kind of helped him. I mean, that he go, he drove a Carl Long car for his first race, and, and <laughs> well, that was kind of interesting. But not only that, it was a beetle. It was a bug, a bug yeah. race car. Yeah, Man, we, we have some photos. I'll see if I have to get one of my buddies to, to dig it up, or even my dad might have it. But um, the guy that he tangled up with with the Pinto actually – let Ward bar his backup driver uniform. So Ward was – that boy's name was Clifton Lee. <laughs> he barred Clifton too because that Ward probably won't, but he still ain't big as nothing back then. But he's probably a buck 25, you know, about 5'3", five, 5'4". Five, and it, I, I was uh, uh, real skinny back then, but <laughs> I, I was too tall and I didn't have but one uniform, so I couldn't let Ward bar mine. <laughs> That's that's pretty that's funny, Carl. But it's amazing a six year old kid going to the racetrack with your dad, jumping in the race car, backing it off the trailer, and man, you fast forward all these years, and you know what Carl Long's done in NASCAR is is, is really amazing what you've done in your career, and uh, you know not only have you driven in the NASCAR Camp World Truck Series, the Bush Series, Xfinity Series now, but you know all the Winston Cup starts you have, and. Uh, you know, it's just, it's been amazing now a big time team owner, you know, so, uh, man, that's, I tell you what, it's come a long way since a, a kid that was six years old that loved right backing off his dad's race car off the trailer. That's pretty cool. And helping War Burton get a start. That's pretty, pretty cool. I never knew that story. Yeah. Yeah. We've, uh, we've been around a lot of them. I, my toughest weekly competition when I was running late models uh, that moved on was uh, racing against the Saddlers, Hermie and uh, Elliot, and uh, and then even like right now, um, one of the guys that's the same age that you and I are, David, is a guy right. named Ronald, Ronald Hill. His dad was a multiple track champion, and uh, Ronald's daughter grew up, and now she's married to Quinn Huff. And, oh, wow. <laughs> yep, and he's – it just uh, – I get Ronald does have CDLs and he told me to help me drive. So if you see some guy at the racetrack with cowboy boots and a cap on, it might be Quinn Huss, daddy in law. <laughs> That's uh, man, awesome. This, that part of the country where y'all grew up at Carl, just is so rich with na a lot of NASCAR history. A lot of people from, come from that part of the country have made it in the sport yourselves. Obviously the Sadlers and the Burtons, man, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. So man, you're racing street stocks and, you know, let 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 our listeners know. You know, you know when you're backing off that race car off your dad's trailer uh, at six years old. I mean, w was that a goal? Was that your dream to be a NASCAR driver, make a living racing, or or what? You know, how did all that happen? And 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 was that something that was that your dream since you were a kid, or did you just kind of fell into it? How did all that work? No, it was always my dream. You know, when you used to have those those carpets that would be at the door that was like in little circles and you have another circle and, and the circles would get bigger and bigger. Well, I used to have my hot wheels on there and, <laughs> and I always was going to win the race. I'd bump them out. Wreck them, you know, but I had so many of them, you couldn't race them at one time, but back then they didn't have the racing champions and the collectibles. So I painted mine. I had all my hot wheels. I'd paint them up with the 15 on I think I can probably dig them out for some of your future stuff if Dad <laughs> bring them back. <laughs> that's that's pretty. David Pearson, Neil Bonnet, Richard Petty, and oh, uh, and man, I, that's that's pretty cool. Nothing really changed for those Hot Wheel days in those circles, because man, you uh, 
you've beaten you beaten bang to move some people out of the way and 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 you know so how you play with those hot wheels kind of kind of equated how you raced in nascar man so that's pretty cool <laughs> well i guess that would probably answer the question you know when you uh aunts and uncles or something come over for uh, a holiday and they didn't pay no attention and they just stepped on your car and squished it and broke the wheels off of it. I guess that's kind of what's happened to me. I've been squished a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, there's a, like I said, there's a lot of, lot of history and probably the, the one that I've raced the closest with the most was Scott Riggs. Um, Scott had a Pinto when we had a Volkswagen and uh, my dad helped do some uh, machine work and stuff for them. And they did body work for us. And uh, his wife, Jay, I got her working at one of the same places that I was working at over in Durham. And so Scott and I grew up and shared a lot of stuff together. And he went out and ran a truck race. I reckon it was at IRP that they went and did. And, and, and he finished like 15th or 9th or, or something. And he had a really good weekend which was the same weekend that I had qualified for the 600 at Charlotte. And he's like, hell, I, did anybody talk about me? All I could talk about was Carl Long. But <laughs> Carl and putting Daryl Waltrip in the car. <laughs> well, man, that, that, that was a big deal, man. I mean, you know, uh, making the Coca-Cola 600 and doing that kind of stuff. I mean, that's, I mean, you're talking about some prestigious races. I mean, the Coca-Cola 600 is pretty big deal. You know, I know, Scott Riggs, you know, finishing 15th or 9th or 10th was, was a big deal for him. But, but you know, when you're talking NASCAR Cup racing, the Coca-Cola 600 don't get much better than that, you know. So, I, I think it all it both worked out for both of you guys, you know. So, that, that's pretty cool, you know. And Scott did a he, – he, uh, he did well in our sport. And, uh, man, he had a lot of success. And uh, I think he retired a while back. And, man, you uh, – you know, you, you've been doing this a long time uh, – you know, tell us a little bit about when you jumped from late models or whatever it is you were racing and how you made it to NASCAR, how to, how all that worked out and who was responsible for that. Well, I learned, uh, you know, it took me six years from the time I was 15 years old. It took me six years to figure out how to get out of a mini stock car with a Volkswagen motor behind me. And <laughs> I had won a championship. I'd won several things and it, you want, I wanted to move up, and at the same time, I would I would leave Roxborough, North Carolina, and I would drive to uh, Raleigh, and I went to school at Wake Technical College, and I was uh, trying to learn to be a CNC machinist and whatever I could. To, I went there trying to be a – I think they had a cl class that was something how to build computers, and I kept falling asleep in the class, and that didn't really work out too good for me. So <laughs> I moved over to something that I knew a little more about with my hands and in a machine shop setting and um, so when I drive back from school and I'd stop in Durham because by the time I would get home to Roxborough which is an hour and a half away the dinner rush was over and it won't but about 15 people in my hometown anyway so they didn't already <laughs> eat. and uh, at least we'd stop in Durham and I'd make a little money and deliver pizzas for uh, a few hours and um, and a guy named Dan Shafty that owned the restaurants the Domino's Pizzas he came to me and wanted me to go back to my hometown and take over the store that they had built there because they just didn't have anybody that fit in in that little town that I was from. And right. I told Dan that delivering pizzas and running a store wasn't what I had <laughs> on my, my menu. My, my plan was to go racing. 
so Dan and I come to a conclusion that he would help sponsor me go racing uh, if I would turn away one racetrack so that I could manage his store on one weekend and race the other weekend. And it just so happened that uh, Mason Day owned South Boston and Orange County, and he alternated weekends. So I, I took him up on it, um, and back then he wrote us a, a $10,000 check with Domino's wow. people sponsoring me to run my, my late model car. Well, I took that $10,000 check, and I didn't have a car. All I had was a Volkswagen, so I went to a couple of the the premium teams around my little little area and oh no man that's good money but uh, you need about thirty thousand you know if you're gonna drive my car because got this guy and i was just like on and on i couldn't believe these people all wanted I, hell i had one of the biggest sponsors was in the neighborhood and they wanted more money you, you just don't know how to drive a late model car because you've been running a volkswagen well, hell i've been doing it for six years yeah. I'm, you know i was ready to do something so my grandfather helped me get a loan and uh, I was, like I said, managing the pizza store, lived at home. So I didn't have a whole lot of other expenses other than my race car. And right. Um, so we went and uh, uh, I borrowed the money and bought a car and, uh, and my, uh, my girlfriend's dad, uh, his, uh, his brother-in-law was working for Jack Tant building engines for Jack Tant Racing. Uh, and his name was Doug Triplett. And Doug, he still right now uh, works over at uh, Joey Arrington's building engines. Right. And uh, so Doug built me a street stock motor. And uh, Tom Pass, my, my fa future father-in-law, he paid for the, the engine for Doug. So I had $10,000, a brand new Jack Tant motor that somebody else paid for. And still, wouldn't nobody let me drive their damn car. So wow. I bought one on my own. And um, uh, and we went to the track. And, and at Orange County, I think I sat on a pole a couple of times. And, uh, yeah, but about 10 laps in it, it was pushing. And I wound up finishing <laughs> fifth or sixth. It wouldn't turn. It just, I didn't know that much about it. That's the first time I had a motor in the front of me. So. <laughs> oh, heck. And, uh, and so Doug helped me over that winter and we rebuilt the car and, um, and we did it at a, at a place. There's a guy named Stan Cruz that used to race a lot and we rebuilt the car down there and we found out that the clip was broke and it was flexing and that's why the thing would turn. Yeah, it was just, just tight. So we, yeah. we fixed that part, welded it up and put a new body on it. And, um, and I had, uh, took my store and the pizza stuff and I took it from doing about $3,500 a week in sales to doing over $10,000 a week in sales and wow, uh, tripled the stuff and actually one manager a year for that area, that region. And uh, Man, that's, that's amazing, Carl. You know, the amazing thing is, I mean, it just goes to show you, I, I love hearing your story, man, just because, you know, and I, I didn't know any of this, but it just goes to show you, you know, people don't realize what you do to try to make it in racing and build uh, to build a drive a race car. You know, heck, you were managing a pizza store and delivering pizzas, dude. I never knew that, man, and uh, that's amazing. Yeah, we, uh, I, I did several uh, competitions. I was, um, like I said, I, I won 
some of the speed awards when we was making it. And every year during Super Bowl Sunday, they would send us over to, to the UNC uh, at Duke or, or Chapel Hill at UNC at one of the college campuses because Super Bowl Sunday was the biggest day of the year for pizza delivery. And uh, Right. There was a – I had set the record in my Durham store before I took over – as a manager, I think I delivered 121 pizzas one night, something like $1,100, and uh, it was uh, it's set for a while. And but uh, and I still know some of them guys. And even when we go to Charlotte, they used to have the pizza um, concession stand, which now is the Bojangles concession stand in Enfield at Charlotte. Right. Mac Patterson uh, was a franchisee that owned it, and I knew him through Dan. And he used to always, we never had to pay for pizza at Charlotte, so I could beat the guys <laughs> in the infield. <laughs> man, amazing, man, amazing. So, so you were the Domino's guy well before Denny Hamlin was and uh, before he started showing Domino's in his PJs. That is correct. <laughs> I, I, was, I was in a bad position because we had just got to the situation where we had uh, – uh, rebuilt the car, went to racing, running the, the, the store for that year. And uh, Tom Monahan, who was the, the founder and owner of Domino's Pizza, Ari Leyendike won the Indianapolis 500 in a Domino's Pizza car. I had Domino's Pizza sponsorship. And, wow. I, and, they, and they came back. And like I said, that was, that was through Dan Shefty. And Domino's came out and said, we are no longer sponsoring anything to do with fast driving because it's 30 minutes or $3 off. It used to be, you know, 30 minutes or it was free. But then he said, we're just getting killed out here from lawsuits. If you got a Domino's pizza uniform on, you are a crazy driver and <laughs> they're getting rid of you. And they're right. uh, suing them. So they dropped all advertisement in, in racing. And, uh, I know that Michael Waltrip had to have it, and my car number was 30. I had uh, 30 minutes or less. As it was 30, and then I had minutes or less <laughs> on the side of it. Man, that's pretty cool, Carl. So your car Lucky. number was 30. Yeah. Wow. And, that's and that, that, that was 30 minutes or less. And uh, <laughs> I, 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 I got a wall full of photos that's upstairs. But <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. So – Man, man, unbelievable, man! I Carl on the pizza man. I never knew that, man. That's that is cool. So, tell the listener. I mean, how, how do you get from thirty minutes or less late model racing, street stock racing? How did how did Carl Long become Carl Long, the NASCAR driver? You know what I mean? Well, uh, after we rebuilt the car, I, I won uh, several races that year. I won the championship. Uh, I don't think we ever scratched the car up and I won a championship at Orange County. And then we, um, uh, we went to the second year, but I, I partied with Domino's after that because they wasn't going to be no future. They wasn't going to sponsor. And, uh, and it kind of ended. I had, uh, they offered me the store. They wanted me to buy it, right. And own it. But I had no interest in owning a store. I wanted to race. Absolutely. And, so because I didn't buy it, they sold it to uh, another guy that was a part of the company, and he didn't give a shit about racing. Well, that's supposed to be the right word. Sorry, no, you're all right. You're all right. So he didn't, he didn't care about racing. He wanted me to be there every Saturday night, every Sunday night, and uh, Friday night, and I just quit. And uh, 
picked up a new position and I, I ran the second year we had a few more crashes and I wound up finishing second in the points. I didn't win that one. And, right. But at that time, now these people that didn't want me to drive and didn't, didn't care much about what I could do. I had I'd built that up and um, there was a, a race car driver named Ray Kirby that was one of our local guys. He was really best friends with uh, Doug that was building my engines and my uh, current wife's uncle at that time. And right. so they, they helped me get into that situation. And uh, I guess the first year that I drove it, I won, I won in my third race out and, um, and, and ran in the front and just, uh, you know, I, I had, uh, the Burtons and uh, if if you name it, Michael Rich was some of them that came there. Dennis Setzer, a lot of really good racers. Where it was at the racetrack, Orange County and uh, South Boston with some of the premium drivers in the Southeast, and uh, we were able to win, you know, right out of the box with it. And then that probably was a problem because as we started winning, we kept trying to get better. And then we kept getting slower and slower. We kept doing stuff. And, you know, <laughs> Funny how that works at times. Huh? <laughs> but um, but well, he, man, you, you raced with some heavy hitters, man. Dennis Setzer, the, you know, uh, Elliot Sadler and freaking the Burtons, man. I mean, hey, just those guys right there. You see, you look at the, the record, you know, the you look in the record books and see what those guys have done in NASCAR. So you had some steep competition back in those days. Yeah, Jay Jay Fogelman has a son, Tate, that's racing now. Jay and I are the same age, and we raced against each other each week. And uh, we might have been uh, ran into each other a couple of times. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I've I, I seen somebody put the, the list out not long ago on one of the Orange County Facebook pages. And uh, and you look back and you go, wow, there's a lot of people that moved over. Um, Rodney Childers used to race with us. Wow, so, Rodney Childers. That is that is Rodney Childress, and correct me if I'm wrong, Carl. Well, that's uh, Kevin Harvick's crew chief, isn't it? That's correct. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, Amazing. And then, and then when we go to the big events, Dale Jr. and Kerry and Kelly, they would kind of show up in their Western steer cars, and <laughs> I got a photo at Martinsville where I'm the guy with the trophy from one of the qualifying races. <laughs> I never qualified in the top twenty, and then right. I always have in the race so um but uh i was there and frank daney who spotted for me all of last year for one of my teams um i got kicked out of a race and got suspended so i had frankie come drive my car for me <laughs> when they wouldn't let me do it and uh so we we go back chris rice yeah um, now chris rice that runs colic motorsports now when when i got my late model car after i'd moved up from the street stock this this car that Ray Kirby and him helped me get was the very first car that his dad and his uncle, his dad is Alan Rice and his uncle Earl, Jeff Burton, they were keeping all of Jeff's cars up and going in late model. Well, Jeff had moved on and moved up to Bush. Okay. Uh, so they left, they had all the equipment left over. And so they started a, a late model stock chassis shop where they were building race cars. And Ray was the first person to buy the car and they had just started on it at the end of the season. And, uh, and then, like I said, Ray, Ray had to get out of the car and he helped me get in it. And, um, so I didn't really know how to set the bump steer on my car when I was working on it, 
<laughs> so I drove, I drove over halfway between Roxborough and South Boston. It was a little town called Cluster Springs. Okay. And that's where Chris Rice lives. Right. And he's 14 years old and he can't drive, but his dad told me he knowed how to set up bump steer. So <laughs> I drove over there and picked up Chris and brought him back to the house and me and him set the bump steer at my shop. And then I carried him back to South Boston, you know, and, uh, wow, Carl. And so, look, look, look what he's done since then, man. Amazing. You know, picked me out to race this weekend. He's too fast. <laughs> <laughs> so Carl, how'd you end up in team ownership? Tell us about how that all came together and where you're at right now with your team. Well, as, as being a driver and stuff with it, there was a lot of situations where I was, um, I'd always had a race car, but as I tried to move along and go drive for somebody else, for some reason or another, somebody would come along with some money or something would happen. I'd get kicked out of the seat. Um, and you understand it. It's a business. But what I was doing is I was, I was putting the cars together, driving the haulers to the racetrack, setting them up, driving the race cars, and, and making them something presentable. And then when I finally got a team that, um, that you could run and do something, somebody else would come along and I'd be left out in the cold. So I decided I would start owning my own race car. And if I helped somebody put their stuff together and, and had a car, at least if they decided to move on and do something different, I was not out in the cold. I still had a race car and I could still go race. Absolutely. And, um, so I had one car and, and I've always kept a car or a truck or something that we had built and, I went to an auction and put something together and found it. But, um, but as it, time went on and, and that's the building that, that David is in right now, I did the same thing. I created uh, JGL racing with uh, a couple of guys, uh, James Whitener and, uh, and Greg. Um, I just went brain dead again. Greg, he's uh, Greg Mixon. They, they all kind of put this thing together. I had, uh, I had three cars that I had bought from Penske when they were swapping from Dodges over to Fords. Um, uh, James come in and he bought like five of them. And we started in, in this particular shop that, that I've got now. And, uh, and they realized pretty quickly it was going to be outgrown and they moved on and they wanted to buy all my equipment and me come just do for them. And, and, and I didn't, I, I had a commitment with uh, Derek White. We had a couple of his cars in there and uh, the tractor trailer that Derek owned the trailer and I owned the tractor. And, you know, we all put everything in a little pile. And, um, and so they, they just had different aspirations than what I did. Um, I, I had learned a long time ago that I wasn't going to lo lose my security of having a race car. Cause if I didn't have that race car to go to the racetrack, and try to qualify to make the race, I could be out of business. And I've, I've had several other jobs that uh, I gave up to keep racing or doing while I was racing. And uh, I started going full time on my own in 1994 after we'd done won some late model championships and street stock races. Uh, we moved up to the all pro series and, wow. uh, and that's when I went racing full time. And uh, in my rookie year, I won Bristol, which was kind of one of our bigger races. And uh, in that race, I had to outrun Mike Cope and David Ruderman and Scott Walters. And David and I ran against each other for rookie of the year. 
uh, along with another guy that's a shot guy at Roush now named Sean Studer. But, uh, but David actually won rookie of the year. We, we had built a, a different kind of car. And I was really fast at some places and really slow at others. So, <laughs> well, I got to I got to say, Carl, that NASCAR All Pro Late Model Series, man, dude, that that was tough. That was the that was the the professional series. That was NASCAR of late model stock car racing in the country, you know. And uh, that was that was tough. That was a tough series. And uh, you won the you won the Bristol race in that series. Yeah, uh, we had let's see I, if I think. Back on the starting field, it had uh, Rick Crawford in it. It had Ron Horner Day. It had, uh, I think, Rich Bickle was in it. Guys wow. named Freddie Query. I mean, Ooh. people, it was uh, Wayne Anderson. Uh, just if you name the who's who's of late model guys and super lates, they, they would go run those big races. And, um, and like I said, we, we had a sponsor, a corporate sponsor. Uh, it was a televised race. And... Uh, you know, you're thinking you're going to make it move up, but um, sometimes there are people behind you that that you think are your friends and they're helping you in the whole time. They're trying to to turn stuff the other way because if you're winning every week, everybody's your buddy. But when you have bad races and things don't go your way or something fell off the car, something broke and, and you look like crap, man, sometimes you got – that's when you know who your true friends are and who the ones that are supporting you. And, um, and I had some that I thought was true friends and they were just, uh, they kind of set me up for, uh, for failure. You, you know, you never hear about the, the, the bad, the, the bad side people talk about a lot, the good side, they don't say much at all. And, um, and I had somebody that kind of turned against me and helped open the doors for a new team. And so we, we wound up losing the, the sponsorship out of that. And, um, Scott Riggs started driving that car after me and I just, I quit that and went over to, um, to Durham. There was a, a, a black man over there named Thee Dixon. I'd known Thee, knew about, knew about his racing. He had had about five or six Craftsman trucks, three or four cup cars and your buddy Skinner drove for him for four or five <laughs> years. I think Skinner was there for three years and I was there for five. Wow. Um, but, uh, Mr. Dixon uh, had a passion to go racing and, um, and, and, you know, today's day, it would be great. His nephew, Tinsley Hughes is still a good friend of mine and he will probably find this pro this podcast of yours and, and become one of your buddies. But, uh, <laughs> um, but it was, it was a situation I went in and the people over there, none of them were real racers that, that he had working for him full time. And I walked in his shop. There was trucks half put together, some kind of scrubbed up, and uh, his shop across the road that he had his cup car at. Oh, there was several cup cars there, but none of them were really uh, of quality. And all of his parts, he would go to auctions and buy parts, and they were just scattered. And the people that worked for him were painters. He had a lot of Mexican guys that painted for him and they just threw the shit in a trailer. You know, you go out there and open the door <laughs> and there's a storage trailer and it was full of race parts. I mean, I seen brand new radiators that had a spindle throw through it. Cause I guess he got at the back of the door and just tossed the stuff <laughs> in. Wow. And so I straightened all of that stuff out and I hired a couple of my buddies from Lake model to come help me. And, uh, and Mr. Dixon paid, made the payroll and, um, 
So the, the first thing he asked me to do is to, he had bought this Speedway car and he's going to go to the Daytona 500 and Randy Renfro was driving it. And, uh, and his doctor had built the motor and I'm like, the doctor. doctor. Yeah. And I, and I asked him, <laughs> I said, your doctor, he says, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dr. Skilling is, I guess it's <laughs> Richard Skilling. Uh, and, and, and he was a doctor that liked to play in racing a little bit but he did not build a good restrictor plate motor. So me and Randy Renfro, and that was the first time I had met, met Randy. Um, I knew him at the track a little, but didn't work with him. So I went with him to the racetrack. And so we had this car at uh, trying to make the 500 and it was slow. It wouldn't keep up. It was a 41 Kodiak car that had sat on a pole the year before. Wow. Before and on the outside pole. I think Steve Grissom drove it. Steve Grissom, yeah. Wow. He did not run a lick. <laughs> and I don't know why. The water heater on it was not hot. It was just lukewarm, if at most. <laughs> oh, man. Man, Carl, it's, you know, it's amazing to hear your stories and just, you know, and kind of follow your career on, on, on how you made it to NASCAR. You know, people – you know, people have no idea the, 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 the challenges, the ups and downs. And, and like yeah. you said, winning the Bristol race and the All-Pro NASCAR All-Pro Series, I mean, you think, man, when you do that with all the who's a who of short track racing in the country, that, you, that you're on your way, you know. And uh, people don't realize, you know, uh, that, that just the peaks and valleys and, and the sacrifices and everything, fighting and fighting to stay in this deal. And, and hearing about uh, your friend here that's giving you another opportunity, unbelievable, man. Yeah, it, uh, there's a, you know, my first race was in 1983 at South Boston uh, in a Volkswagen Beetle. And so you start adding from that time and you're a guy that wanted to race. And, you know, I went to the junkyards and got the parts off of the cars and, um, and just learned from, from the bottom line all the way up of what you had to do. And, and, and my biggest thing is I, I never grew up with, with money or had any huge resources. So what I had to do was to figure out how you take yourself with no money and, and put yourself in a position. So I've always been in a position that I had to rely on sponsors and I had to rely on giving something in order for somebody to give me something that I wanted. And it's like when I, when I worked for the, the hospital, the pharmacy in Durham, uh, one of the, the guys there, um, he also raced and he owned it. He was a pharmacist. So I helped him with his race cars and that's where we hired Jay Riggs, Scott's wife. She came over and by the time I was moving along and, and doing stuff and Romeo guest construction had, uh, picked me up to, to help me a little bit. And, he had a lot of his subcontractors. And then when we would network at the racetrack, Tony Gurley had a new pharmacy that needed to be built and Romeo guest construction got to do the work and everybody was happy. I mean, that was, you, you have to bring something to these people. They don't want to just go spend money on a race car to watch it go around in circles. They want something else to come out of it where they make money. So. Wow. And um, amazing. Well, and Carl, over the years, you've gotten to run a lot of really cool races across all three national touring series and have had the ownership role for quite a while. Is there still maybe some part of you someday that you might try for a Daytona 500 or try for some more cup races? What does what, what your racing plans look like in the future, especially with those big marquee races? 
I'm not real sure. Last year I ran Martinsville because uh, I'd like when we ran late model races and that stuff, it was one that you really didn't get to run an Xfinity car there. And, and I ran Martinsville and I had, I thought I was going to have fun with it, but we missed it a little bit in the shop and the accelerator wouldn't let all the way off the gas. It was hanging up. So I about burnt the brakes off and couldn't slow the car down too good. So it wasn't a real competitive race for me. And uh, we finished and, uh, and uh, at, at my age now and, and not doing what David does and sweating it out all of the time, my steering wheel, I think my arms are getting shorter because my steering wheel is getting further away from me. But at least when I put my belts on now, when your steering wheel's right under you and and you turn it and your belts come unhooked, you got to realize that, uh, you know, these young these young kids, I try to tell them, they, they like showing off their abs with their hard six-pack. And I tell them I got a keg, you know. So. <laughs> Man, that's, that's – <laughs> That's funny, Carl. Let me. I'm going to brag on you real quick, Carl. I want the listeners to know back when I was racing for Wayne Spears, 2002 to up until 2007, six, whatever it may be. A lot of people don't know that Carl Long was a fabricator mechanic on my truck team when I was winning races in the '75 Spears Chevrolet. The cool thing about Carl Long. Carl would come to work at seven o'clock in the morning and work on our race trucks. He'd work until about five and six and Carl would leave our Spears motorsports race shop and he would go to his own race shop and Carl built his own cup cars. Not only did he build his own cup cars, he drove the truck and trailer to the racetrack. He worked on his race cars at the racetrack. He qualified them. He raced them. Then he got, he loaded everything back up and, and drove his hauler back to his shop. And then on Monday morning, came to work at our at our truck shop. I mean, it's amazing what Carl has done and the desire he has and the passion he has for NASCAR racing. And I want to say back in 2003, 5, 4, I don't remember what year it was, but we were having a truck race at Rockingham or we were racing somewhere else. I don't remember, but, man, we – I don't even, I don't think we were at the same racetrack, but man, the big news was Carl Long qualifying his cup car. And I think he was willing that thing so hard coming off turn. I want to say turn two, he got into the wall and man, that thing flipped one or two times. And that was big news in our sport, man. And it was my buddy Carl Long, you know, and, and uh, we couldn't believe it. Huh? It might even been in the race. I don't remember Carl. Do you, do you remember what I'm talking about? And can you elaborate a little bit more on that? And what year was that? That would have been 2004. Okay. Um, it was the last race that they run Rockingham as a NASCAR track. Um, we, we had just come back from Daytona and the truck teams, uh, I think Rockingham was the second race after, after Daytona before we would go out to the West, the West Coast. Coast. Right. Um, so it, it would probably be close to this week or something like that. But anyway, yes, I was racing and uh, didn't have the, the best funding for tires. And so we had scratched around and got enough scuff tires. And I'd qualified, made the race, um, 32nd, 33rd, something. I don't remember exactly. But um, I had a car that I'd got from Kyle Petty at Petty Enterprises. He had wow. uh, 
had sold one. I'd bought a few things from them from different people over the years. And so this is one that I owned myself. And uh, we were three quarters of the way through the race. And uh, some of the guys had just come in and made pit stops and had good tires. And if you had good tires at Rockingham, you was three to five seconds faster than somebody <laughs> like me with old tires. Three to five and, seconds. Uh, That's a lot per lap. It was, yes, big. <laughs> so I, I went down into turn one and uh, the spotter had told me that, you know, I had a couple of them coming in racing side by side. So I got down as low as I could get coming off turn two. Well, the two people were Joe Nemechek and Brendan gone. And I guess Brendan hit Joe in the left rear corner. So as they come off of the corner, Joe hit, um, excuse me, Brendan hit Joe and it turned him sideways and Brent, Joe come down the hill. Well, when he come down the hill, guess what? I'm the guy between him and the infield wall. So he hit me in the right rear and it turned me right up straight. So the angle that I had went straight into the outside wall on the back stretch and the car just, the right front climbed up the wall and flipped over. So I slid all the way down the back straightaway on my driver's window. And, and that was one of the first years we had the containment uh, headrest. And my A-post was dragging the sparks. And they were hitting me in the visor where I had that down. And the, the asphalt was going by you like six inches off the side of your head. Wow. And I knew the asphalt was there. And the car was still sliding. And all I could smell was a gas dumping out of the carburetor. And sparks hit me in. The, wow. I was like, you know, this is a recipe for a barbecue. And I know exactly <laughs> what to <it's> do. <laughs> and, and, and then it started, it caught grip and started tumbling. And it kept tumbling and tumbling. And I think it went over like nine times or something like that, seven or nine. And when it stopped, when the car stopped, it, it was on its side but all of our weights on the left side. And so with the weight being on the left side and the car stopped, it just kind of stalled. And I thought, well, hell, I'm, I'm sitting here sideways and I'm gonna get out before somebody hits me or do something. Well, I pulled the steering wheel off with a quick release. And about the time I pulled it off, the car came back down on its wheels and I took the steering wheel and I bounced it across my legs, thought about hurting myself with that. And I looked, and Bobby Labonte was sliding at me, side, sliding sideways right at my door, but he kind of stopped before he got there. And I realized I probably ought to stay here until they stopped sliding around me. <laughs> but it was smoking and stuff carrying on. I wasn't sure if I was going to get on fire. And uh, when I got ready to go out, the, the halo bar, which is a roll bar, it runs right by your head, it was bent down. Wow. And I hit it like twice and realized, well, that's a small hole there. My helmet just came out that hole between it and the seat rest, and I got the hell out the car. That's what. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> Let's go racing with David Starr, episode number 12, talking to Carl Long. And Carl, we mentioned at the top, you're David's new boss now, his uh, team owner there with, uh, with your race team. Let's uh, talk about that now. David, you're beginning your 2021 campaign this week at the Daytona Road Course. Carl, I'll start with you. What's your expectation? What's kind of the goals for, for David and this number 13 team this year? Well, we know that we don't have as deep a pocketbooks as some of our competition, but I've been um, very resourceful in having what I would say is uh, an overachiever, overachiever type equipment for where we're running. 
And and the fact is, it's like David and I said, I I went to work. Dave McCarty hired me over there with his truck team back when he drove for Spears. And David and I had raced against each other some. Uh, he raced every week, and I was just a few. And so we 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 had a mutual respect. And David won several races with us. And so I know he's got the capability of winning races. I've always respected his ability to to drive. And um, we've got some really good crew chiefs now, um, uh, all under our wing. I've got uh, Clinton Cram returned. Clinton has been in this thing. Um, I bet he's been crew chief for about 15 years. He he came down. His brother Kevin has been a crew chief. Buddy Cram has uh, uh, been a big part of racing with Ray Evernham and Dale Earnhardt. Um, we've got Doug Richard working for us full time. Doug Richard was – Dale Earnhardt's first crew chief. He was Daryl Waltrip's crew chief. Neil Bonnet, Kenny Irwin, um, David Pearson, Greg Bibble. If you name it, you know Doug will probably wind up in the Hall of Fame. And he's kind of our competition director, uh, operating the pull down machines and and things at home. And we we brought Mike Hillman in, or Mark Hillman, Mike's son, um, brother to Mike Jr. So we brought him in. He's been with the Gaunt Brothers Racing for the last couple of years. And and then David's crew chief is Patrick McGee. Patrick had worked as a uh, a car chief at Roush Racing for a couple of years. Uh, and before that, he had worked with Johnny Davis some. And, and Patrick is uh, – uh, all three of my crew chiefs work as one for each car. And so we've got a, uh, a really good um, – buffet of knowledge and um and i think that uh, i'm looking forward to he's got timmy hill as his uh, uh one of his teammates we've got Stephen light and um chad fincham kind of sharing duties with the 61 car and uh, last week Stephen light was in the grandstand spotting for garrett smithley and spotting for um chad and the xfinity race this week, Chad will be in a grandstand spotting for Steven on the road course. So they all show up each week. We all make it happen. And, and we've got a, a few drivers that's going to come in and run our 61 car some that, um, uh, that we really don't have sponsorship for on those weekends. And, uh, and that is still a partnership deal we have with Shiggy Hattori. And their first race will be uh, – um, Pocono and Austin Hill will be running that car at Pocono. And, um, and so we've, we've got what we think is a pretty good set of resources. The engine programs haven't gained a lot since the cup cars went to fuel injected. The carburetor motors don't really have a lot of research that's been there. It's kind of shared. So, even though we've got some engines on our Toyota side, it's got a, a few years of age on them. The knowledge hasn't really gained any. And we feel like that we're um, in a good spot. We have 42 Toyota engines, five Ford engines, and probably five Dodges and six Chevrolets that we still have sitting around. We've got over 50, uh, over 60 chassis at the shop. Now, some of them probably need to be in a scrapyard somewhere, but I just couldn't bear to throw them away right yet. So, um, 
but we have we have 19 complete Xfinity cars, 11 complete Cup cars, and then probably half of that many chassis that we can use to go over. And total amount of people right now, we're about up to including our engine people, close to 40 people per week uh, employed by MBM. That's great. That's awesome to see. David, uh, you're going to run 32 races beginning this week at the Daytona Road Course. Where do you think you guys can be strongest at? Where do you think uh, you expect this team to, to be competitive and have your best shot at getting some of these, you know, good finishes here? Well, man, Carl Long being my good friend and, you know, just the respect I have for him and not only as a driver, you know, just, you know, you've heard, I mean, we could, we could have our podcast for six hours and hear Carl's stories, but you know, with the listeners, they kind of get a little bit of a taste of, of what he's been through. Uh, I mean, it, it wasn't easy. Nobody give, get, nobody has ever given him anything. Uh, and he made it, he made it to as a professional NASCAR race car driver, you know, and, uh, in all three national series. Now, when I say all three national series, trucks, Bush, you know, the ultimate Winston cup, the top of the top of the echelon. Uh, so it's, it's really cool to, to, to work for Carl uh, because, and like y'all just heard what he's talking about, he's been a team owner for a while. And I think every year Carl's team as a whole, as a company gets stronger and stronger. And last year in 2020, you know, Timmy Hill, uh, you know, I think he finished fifth or sixth at at, uh, at Bristol. And Timmy Hill finished, I, I don't remember, Carl had to tell us, second, third, or fourth at Daytona. They've had some really – third. They've had some really solid runs, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I've always just – I paid it. I pay attention. I mean, even though you're busy with your own teams and you're racing and your sponsors, you know, you always kind of pay attention to your buddies. And Carl's been uh, – what he's been able to do as a team owner – with a couple of different his drivers has been very impressive. And, uh, and when it all worked out that I was, uh, you know, we had talked about this over the last four or five years, you know, maybe me and Carl get together sometime. We always just talk about it, but it never, it never really ever worked out. And when it finally worked out, you know, and, and I come over here, and I've been out of the shop for, you know, I was here for about a week before Daytona and I'm back here this week before we go back to Daytona to run the road course. I mean, what he was telling you, the people he has, the knowledge he has in his shops, I mean, they uh, they have really stepped up their program. So, man, you know, I love to race. Carl loves to race. He's got the right people. You know, I just I'm, – I'm looking forward to getting inside uh, – to driving his race cars with Whataburger all over them and all of our other partners we have and, uh, you know, just getting after it. You know, you got a car that, that handles good and get in the corner and it rotates good and you got good forward drive. I mean, I'm looking forward to if we could be a top 20, top 15 team every week, be consistent, that would be awesome. And it ain't no big news. I was just sharing with Carl a couple of days ago. I said, hey, when you start turning left and right, <laughs> this, these road racing stuff, you know, I, I wouldn't call, call myself a road racing ringer, you know. It's a little bit challenging when you start turning right. I told Carl, I said, man, he was showing me the car I'm going to run. It's awesome. It's a nice, nice race car. And, uh, you know, it's got a great engine in it. And, man, they've been working on the setup and everything. It's just a beautiful race car. And uh, he said, we're ready for you, man. I said, well, the weak, weakest link that you're going to have there is going to be the guy that's talking to you. And that, that's me, you know what I mean? But uh, I said, hey, we can, get, we can go down to Daytona, run the race, keep the race car on the racetrack, uh, you know, run, 
you know, 10, 12, 15 laps, really get the hang of it, be there at the end and go race somebody at the end. The key thing is to be there at the end. We need to finish this race. And uh, I think it's all going to work out. You know, it's, it's probably not my, my forte to race on these road racing tracks, but if I can do my job right, we get out of there with a great finish and move on to Miami Homestead, then we can get starting stepping into what, what my comfort zone, you know what I'm saying? So I'm just looking forward, you know, Carl, Carl and his racing team and his people, they know how to treat their sponsors. That's why he's been very successful. He knows how to treat his people and what he, what he's done as a driver and now a team owner. I'm excited to have all our partners, Waterburger and everybody else that's part of our program. You know, Carl's good with people. He knows how to treat them. And I think, uh, I think we're going to have a good year together. That's great. That's great to hear. Guys, uh, time for this week's NASCAR news and notes. Uh, Dominic, uh, let's look back on that Daytona 500. I thought it was a heck of a race on uh, Sunday, ending on uh, Monday morning there. Uh, I mean, and, and ultimately a big upset, one of the biggest ever. Michael McDowell comes home with uh, the Daytona 500 title. Seems like you get these kind of races once every 10 years. You look back 10 years ago, and Trevor Bain did this in 2011. Michael Waltrip in 2001 and Derek Cope in 1990 is just some of these recent guys that picked up their first career win in NASCAR's biggest race, NASCAR's Super Bowl, the Great American Race. And, Tyler, we were kind of talking off air here, and I kind of want to get Carl and David's take on this. You look at how Michael won the race, and they have road course races, and those just tend to be in his wheelhouse. It seems like McDowell's going to really hold his own, and I think he's going to be – placed inside the top 10 points after the first few events. It looks like he's shaping himself up to have a really good start to 2021. I would go ahead, David. Or go ahead, Carl. I would, I would definitely agree with you. Um, when we go restrictor plate racing, or uh, it's not plate racing as you'd call it, uh, but for Daytona and Talladega races, the draft is an equalizer. And if you've got a car that will run in a draft and, uh, I was very proud of the speed that we had in our cars. And um, if one of our cars would have made the race, it was just as strong. We, When you come to those races, you can pass the Denny Hamlins. You can pass the, um, the big team cars, and they can pass you back. And it's a lot of your working with your spotter and your driver together. So seeing Michael win it, you know, um, I worked for front row, and I drove for front row years ago. And uh, so I still have a lot of friends over there and I was proud of them, proud of Bob and, and those guys being able to put that together. And Michael is a great road course driver. So um, he put himself to be in the right place, you know, and, um, and so those guys, I, I would say that they, uh, their loves sponsorship and what they put together with that, which is one of, Bob Jenkins business to business deals that kind of pulled him in there with his trucking company that he's got. That's, that's the future of paying up for your sponsor. You know, they, uh, they're going to sponsor Bob no matter what. And, um, and to have them win the Daytona 500 and all of those guys over there that generally catch the grief like me and David do for being 30th or something. But, uh, it, it's it's really good for him, and I'm proud of him. And uh, only thing could have been a lot better if, if it had been us, but uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> David, what did you make of uh, Michael's win and uh, what the rest of the season looks like for him? He's going to be in the playoffs now. 
Man, I think it's wonderful. I, uh, you know, Michael McDowell is just a, uh, a great guy, you know, just a great guy, great race car driver. And, and like Carl was saying, you know, Talladega and Daytona is a great equalizer, you know, and, uh, you know, you look at those speedway races and he's always been up there. You can always thank Michael McDowell or David Reagan's going to be up there. And, uh, it was, it's kind of cool when you see a kind of an underdog guy that's been after it a long time, finally win his first race, you know, and that's why we love Talladega and Daytona because it is a great equalizer. And like Carl was explaining to you, I mean, you take a team that's not one of those powerhouse teams that just, you know, it's got enough money to be there and every year kind of gets better and better, but you're not competing on a Roger Penske level or, or a Joe Gibbs level or, or, a, or, a, or a Hendrick level. And to see him win that race, it just lets people know, you know, other racing teams that there is a chance for everyone, you know. And uh, man, I just I was so happy for Michael McDowell. It was a it was a it was a great race. It was interesting, and um, and uh, like Carl said, I just uh, you know, our and and during the duels, Timmy Hill and Garrett Smithley had really great race cars. They were fast, and it was cool to see, you know, both of our cars in the duels passing Kyle Busch, passing Denny Hamlin. It was just awesome, you know, and uh, unfortunately luck didn't, didn't work out on our side to make the Daytona 500, but it was just awesome to see Michael Dow come home victorious in, in the biggest race in our sport. So it was pretty awesome, pretty cool to see it. Well, and, and Dominic, uh, to, to turn things over to you just for a second here, you know, I'm hearing reactions from some fans saying, oh, they didn't think it was that good of a race, too much single file, this and that. I thought it was a great race, great finish. We got to see it come down to the very last lap and everything. I, I think a lot of the fan reaction just has to do with some angry, uh, salty Chase Elliott fans, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're wrong there, Tyler. I saw a lot of the same comments about being single file. And I know Danny Hamlin had say, said the same thing. Like, why are we running single file to the, to the last lap? Why were people content running 6th, 7th, 8th, 10th? But it was a great finish. And I, I think on the flip side of that, too, to kind of play devil's advocate, I saw a lot of fans that were really excited with the fact that Michael McDowell had won. We all love an underdog story. We all love to hear about the stories that, that don't really get a lot of spotlight. And I think that's what happened here with Michael McDowell. We all know he's a really great super speedway and road course racer. And he was finally able to put together a great race. And he did that in the Daytona 500. And I did think we saw a lot of fans that were really happy with that. Yeah, I think, I think that's a great point. And Did I want to comment about? on that if I can. And Carl can elaborate on it. You know, uh, early on in that race, I mean, y'all know the Daytona 500 is exciting. They're three wide. They're two wide. And I think after the, the couple of big, big, big crashes that happened that, you know, when you're at Talladega and Daytona and, and, man, if somebody messes up, it takes 12, 13, 15 cars out. And I think after they got the racetrack dried into late into the morning, the next morning, uh, we saw some single file racing. I think everybody just kind of chilled out and wanted just, they didn't want to get caught up in the crash. So it was just a little bit of cons conservative on everybody's part to make sure that they were able to go forward at the end. And man, man, the last two laps was really exciting. And I, and I, th I just think that's why the single file racing happened. It, nobody wanted to really mix it up too hard because you had we all saw what happened when that when when we get two and three wide you know so uh but anyway the ending was incredible what's your thoughts on that carl i i think you hit the nail right on uh, on the head um but what i see at the end of the race and, and i watched it with ours 
is you got to have a partner. And the way that the, the thing shuffled out, if you were in the outside line, six to back, okay, it's six laps to go. Do I need to make my move now? And you drop down to make your move with six laps to go. And the ones that were with you, they said, well, we'll just let him go down there and hang him out. <laughs> and she dropped to the bottom and fall to the back. Nobody Bubba, will go with you. Bubba Wallace tried. Bubba tried to do that. He fell yeah. all the way back. You, you saw it. That's, yeah. And so nobody was really going with him. They wouldn't organize the bottom line. And, and, and so who's going to jump next? I ain't going to jump. I just seen him move out and didn't <laughs> nobody help him. So, but if I knew I had my partner behind me, if I knew that if David was uh, uh, going to move and I was going to go with him and I knew that, somebody was going to go with me, you would do it. But you, you, Hey spotter, who's behind me? Oh, Ross, Ross Chastain ain't going with me. So, you know, <laughs> you know, personalities, you know, who's going to stick with you and he won't. And it just lined up that the personalities were not there, you know? And, uh, and that's why it, I would have much rather seen them jump down and been too wide there for the last two or three laps, but Hey, it it wound up still being one where the, the two teammates that work with each other punted each other. If <laughs> Michael McGowan wins a race. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. You move ahead to the Daytona road course now. We're going to stay down in Daytona Beach for another week. And this is the second time that we've run to the Daytona road course. Wasn't even supposed to happen this year, but uh, in California couldn't be run. So they're going to run it for the second straight year in a row. Second time in three weeks when you consider the clash was there too. Uh, David, I'll start with you. What, what do you make of this uh, Daytona road course race? And uh, as far as cup guys go, who, who are they going to be the ones to watch? Seems like Chase Elliott's been on a roll lately when it comes to road racing. Well, man, just this coming back from Daytona, uh, last Wednesday when we, when we were in Daytona, they had the, the Bush clash and, uh, man, they ran it on the road course. And man, let me tell you what, uh, I was, but Ron, Ron Blaney was unbelievable. Ron Blaney was great. Uh, Chase Elliott was great. Uh, I mean, you look at Denny Hamlin. I mean, there, there was, there was some good hard racing, you know, and it was exciting. And, uh, you, you, you know, for you, for the people watching that saw the ending of that race, man, people were standing on their, on their, on their feet. Just, uh, it was exciting. And, uh, I think it's kind of cool. I think the road course, the road race track at Daytona, their road course course is, uh, is awesome. You know, I mean, if you can run the 24 hour race, you know, the biggest race in the world there, why, why can't we have a NASCAR race there? So I, it'll be my first time I'm looking forward to it. And I can assure you the Xfinity race, the truck race, and the cup race are going to be exciting. You know what I mean? So uh, I, I think it's going to be a great weekend of racing, and I'm looking forward to it. And I think uh, we're going to see some good racing. What do you think, Carl? So Tyler, I think that uh, David has a lot of good points there. And um, being this is our second time back at that Speedway, um, this car is one that, that David's driving is one that we raced there last year. We do have some notes on it. I think we'll be able to, to help him out with it. And Stephen Light is a, a companion driver to him as well as Timmy Hill. And Stephen does very well on road courses. And so they're, they're going to give him a little, little crash uh, testing uh, <laughs> on his iRacing simulator tomorrow night. 
And, uh, and Stephen told him, he's already told me that what works on the little iRacing game is not quite exactly how it's going to be in live, but you don't realize this. This These iRacing games are so realistic. You know the curves, you know the corners, the, the progression rate that you make into the corners. Um, it is very, very spot on for what happens really. So because David has not had any, any laps on the track with, He's going to Stephen Light Tutorial Driving School. <laughs> David doesn't do the iRacing, so uh, I'm fascinated to see how this goes. We've been making picks on this show. We started this last week just for the cup race. We're not going to make David pick his own race he's in. Um, but just go ahead. Let's go around the room. One name. Who's going to win the cup race Sunday? I'll take the obvious one, Chase Elliott. Dom, who you got? You took the words right out of my mouth there, Tyler. I got to go chase Elliott, too. Hey, I picked Brad Keselowski for the 500, and, I mean, it, it almost happened. So. Almost. Don, almost. who's winning? Yeah. Uh, David, who's winning Sunday? Well, I, you know, watching watching the Bush class there and saying, you know, y'all seen those two guys that were up front running for the for the win. I, I'm going to have to take Ryan Blaney myself, and hopefully my teammate Timmy Hill will give them a run for their money. There you go. Carl, uh, who, who's going to be the guy to beat Sunday? I uh, just studying. I'm, I'm kind of with David. You know, Blaney's been pretty tough, but I'm going to pull somebody out that nobody's thought about that I think is going to do an incredible job, uh, and that's A.J. Allmendinger. Ooh, that's a good one. You know, and he's, he's going to be in the 16 car. They haven't – it's a children's car. It's all out prepared. And if anybody gets around a road course pretty sporty, it's all AJ. Mm -hmm. and, and this is his first cup race with colleague, too. So that'll be uh, cool for him to have that opportunity. We'll be cheering on AJ. Uh, I need to get him on the show. Such a likable dude, AJ Allmendinger is. Absolutely. Before we get out of here today, time for our Ask David uh, segment. We ask you to submit questions on Facebook and Twitter at David Star Podcasts and Facebook Star Podcasts and Twitter, also via email. David Star Podcast at gmail.com. You can reach us out there. And i uh, got a couple questions that uh, we want to answer that uh, we'll pose these questions to both David and to Carl. And uh, here's the first one. This one comes from Hallie on Twitter, at Hallie Emery. Uh, she writes, uh, any superstition with driving a car numbered 13? What do you think, David? Any superstition? Well, I, you know, I don't really have any superstitions or believe in that and uh, didn't even think about it until uh, I was over at the shop last week before we went to, uh, down to Daytona and Carl mentioned something about Lucky 13 or something, you know, and then I just, you know, I I don't know, just, you know, kind of my, you know, I started thinking about that, you know what I mean? But, man, no superstitions from my part, you know, it's a it's a cool number. I'm just going to say Lucky 13 and, and roll with it from there. And like y'all heard Carl telling you earlier, I mean, we got some good people here at MBM Motorsports, and uh, I do my job and everything works out right. Right, You know, with that, that number 13 car is going to be running pretty sporty. So, uh, But I, I, I can't wait to hear Carl because how did he get number 13? And there is a lot of superstitions <laughs> around that number, you know? <laughs> well, to, to answer that, the, uh, the main reason that we have 13 is my partner, Derek White. Um, he uh, – He's still up in Canada. He's still a part of our race team and program. And, and that was a number that he wanted us to have from what he was doing. His normal number was 99, and we couldn't get it at that time. And so we went for 13. And I got to looking at it, and 
you know, if, if you Google the unluckiest guy in NASCAR, it, it comes up with me. So one <laughs> there can be. So if, and, and it's always happened when we would go racing late model racers or something and, and it'd be a full moon out and they go, Oh hell, everybody's going to crash and wreck and do all that. I'd win the race, you know? <laughs> and, and so I figured maybe it's just kind of a, a, a um, Reverse psychology. Absolutely. So if I'm going to be the unluckiest, we're going to be number 13. And um, <laughs> and uh, if you put both of them two negatives, negatives together, it's got to be a great positive. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, hopefully not a double negative. Uh, yeah, yeah. Here's another question. This one's uh, also on Twitter from uh, Jackson Farnsworth. Uh, at the underscore real underscore Farnsey, he writes uh, to David, what's the meaning of life and how far away are the stars? <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. Hey, man, for me, the meaning of life is having a beautiful wife and two beautiful little boys, you know, but uh, but before I, before I had all that, man, it was all about racing, you know. The meaning of life to me was – being on getting a race car and race cars, you know, making it. And, and uh, man, like Carl was sharing with us earlier, you know, the ups and downs and what he went through uh, from, from time he was six years old, back in, a, back in his dad's race car off the trailer to, to being a, a Winston Cup NASCAR race car driver, now being a team owner, man, that's uh, what makes David Starr's heartbeat is climbing inside that race car and racing, you know what I mean? So, that's the meaning of life. But look, that changed some when I got older and, and I met my wife, Kim, and, and then we had two kids, you know. But, man, it's uh, – besides that, man, it's still that, 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 per that burning desire and that passion inside my body still burns just as hot as the first NASCAR race I ever ran. So, uh, that's a great question. I love it. And uh, that's, what, that's what the meaning of life is to me, you know, uh, racing cars, having a great family, and uh, having a good time. But how far away are the stars? Uh, they're they're pretty close at all at all. <laughs> they're pretty close to me, but uh, they're not far away. That's for sure. <laughs> all right, Carl. Uh, loaded question there. What is the meaning of life, and how far away are the stars? Well, I don't know if I'm a, a <laughs> philosopher quite that way, but uh, <laughs> I guess the 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 meaning of a life is uh, when you you get up and uh whatever you do during the day or whatever you have is respected and you go to bed at night and you don't feel like that um that you had to take advantage of anybody you had to do anything um to try to gain something it happens on your own and one of the things that i've always done as a team owner and and as a driver owning my team was i just tried to make sure that i paid all of my bills and my biggest thing now is uh, my passion of racing has grown well enough that I can't do it on my own. And I have other people that I have to depend on. So I do have four kids, but now when I look through the shop and stuff like that, I really have 40 people that depend on me. <laughs> and uh, so it's, uh, it's to, to get a group together. This is the first time in all of the years that I've been together uh, that I didn't have somebody that uh that left me in january right before daytona because somebody offered them fifty dollars a week more pay or a plane flight to the track when we had to drive uh this year everyone that um 
that was there stayed there. We, we've got the same people we had last year with the addition of, of, of Mark uh, Hillman and, uh, and Skippy, who's in there with us now, which Skippy's been with me for four years, but now he's full-time. He said, like I said, it's it, trying to take all this in is trying to like drink from uh, a fire hose and he just can't quite get it all in. So, um, but that my meaning of life is just to make sure everybody else is, uh, is happy that okay. spread that out. And now it, how close are you to the stars? I'm real close because I got David Star right there under my wing now. <laughs> That's pretty good right there, man. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> Dominic, uh, what's the meaning in life and how close are you to the stars? Well, the stars, the star families in the next state over in Texas. I'm in New Mexico. <laughs> but, but the meaning of life, I, I think, just kind of echoing what David and Carl have said, just – you want to wake up in the morning. You want to have that purpose in life. And, and for me, that's faith, family, and friends. Those three things certainly drive me. And, and of course, we all have our career goals and what we want to accomplish with that stuff, too. But I think for me, I've had to realize over the years, no, there is more to life than, than just building that career. And, and there is a private life and a public life and trying to separate those. And, and I think for me, that's, that's those three things, faith, family, and friends. What about you, Tyler? I have no idea where the stars are at. I think astrology is a bit overrated, to be honest. I don't care about when the moon is red or if it's a full moon or a half moon or anything like that. It's overrated. When we had that eclipse a couple of years ago, I'm like, okay, cool, uh, whatever. The moon's going to do its thing. Can't control it. I could care less. So, no, I don't know anything about the stars. Um, as far as admitting a life goes, uh, you know, you be kind, work hard. The rest will work itself out. So, that's what I live by every single day. I try to – you know, in my job, entertain and inform. If I do those two things, then it's going to be successful. So and that's why I the high school life. teacher and me coming out saying we're the stars. The closest star to us is the sun. It's only 93 million miles away. So there's that. There we go. Man, we're getting educational, educational is, on this podcast now, man. I like that. Is <laughs> the sun really hot? Because if you think about it, space is cold. Why is the sun hot then? Wouldn't the sun be hot, be cold? Great well, question. It's fire. Right? I mean, the sun's fire. It's a big ball of fire. And Austin Sindra confirmed to us on Twitter this past week, and the fire's hot. <laughs> Maybe the earth just heats itself from its core. There we go. A little spin oh. zone there. Uh, guys, we got to run. This has been a fascinating podcast. Uh, we appreciate Carl for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to Let's Go Racing with David Starr. New episodes out each and every week on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Uh, also on YouTube, the video version as well. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. Real quick before we run, Carl, what's going on with you this week as uh, you guys get ready for uh, for this race weekend? Well, we're trying to plan the next color schemes and wraps so that our cars are done and um, are ready for Miami and then on to Vegas and um, and just we're trying to – we have a lot of cars that we had to convert from – Camrys to Supras so we're just trying to get caught up a little bit and uh and then looking forward to having David a good finish up here at uh at the Daytona road course and on to Miami because uh after Miami will be our points and our money is all about what happens after the first three races so Chad's already got David off to a head start and it wasn't a good one so we gotta we gotta uh, go ahead and pull more on it now <laughs> oh man David uh tell us about your week ahead as you get ready for your debut oh man just uh you know just obviously here still here at the shop just 
looking forward to to really just getting one of these MBM Motorsports uh, race cars and representing Waterburger and our other partners we're going to have this year. I just uh, you know, like you're hearing Carl talk about his people. He's got some great people. I'm, I'm just excited to get teamed up with everybody and actually go to the racetrack and work with them there. And uh, just exciting weekend, you know, and have Waterburger back on the race car, get, climbing the window of the number 13 Waterburger uh, Toyota Supra is going to be cool. And uh, hopefully get out of Daytona with a great finish. And, uh, man, I've been worried about my wife and my kids and all our friends back in Texas. Here I am and uh, been in Daytona Beach, Florida, and now in Charlotte, North Carolina. And, uh, man, back home in our great state of Texas, man, it's, it's you know, negative two and three degrees and snowy. And, man, just it's just something that's really I've never seen in my lifetime happen in the great state of Texas. But, uh, but anyway, besides that, just hoping everybody's safe there and, and gets through everything and, and looking forward to getting to Daytona and, and getting kind of getting our season kicked off. Yeah, no doubt about it. Dominic, uh, people certainly need to check out What's going on at racingexperts.com? You guys are uh, full-on season mode now, and uh, you also got a feature on uh, David that's up right now. Yeah, we always cover the daily news of the sport. We have a really dedicated staff. i got to give a shout-out to Jonathan Field, Justin Melillo, to, to Adam Kuhn, and to Nick Lewis. All those four guys just keep our, our site rolling along, and they do a really good job. So we also have our social media giveaways and yeah, we had some news with David that came out of our podcast last week that made the front page of jski.com. Everybody in the industry loves jski. So anytime as a journalist, you get your work up on jski's front page, you feel really accomplished. I don't care how old you are, you know, that it's getting out there to the masses. So no, we're, we're just going to keep covering the sport and we'll be back next week. And Tyler, that question never gets flipped on you. What do you got going on over the next few days? Oh, man, it's uh, it's busy. I'm about to do five hours of TV the next three days uh, for local news live. So uh, that'll be exciting. Last week, I'm interviewing Alex Bowman. This week, I'm interviewing a, a U.S. Senator, Roger Marshall. So it's uh, one thing to the other, two completely different spectrums. It's all good. Got a new Jones report that'll be out coming out on a Thursday on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all that great stuff. So we got to run. We got to put the checkered flag out on this show. We'll see you right back here next week for Carl Long, Dominic Argon, David Starr, I'm Tyler Jones. Sing so long. This has been another edition of Let's Go Racing. We'll see you next week.